You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 345. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Hello, my friends. Welcome to today's episode. I am so excited to be speaking with you guys. I am doing a very good old-fashioned Q&A episode for you. I am so excited. It's actually straight in the morning. I'm like waking up. I just had a papaya, and now I am excited to be doing this recording for you guys. We had 36 questions asked on the Lively Community app, which I'm going to read from, and we'll see how far I get through those questions, depending on how long I answer. So maybe we can make this a two-part episode, possibly. Let's just see. But also, on the note of the Community app, just wanted to let you guys know there are now 1,300 people in the app and growing. So if you haven't already downloaded it on your phone, it is totally free to do so, or you could do it directly on the desktop if you wanted to just join it there, but it is so nice. It's a great little space for people to connect. You can share, be a part of any of the conversation groups that you want to be a part of, and you can get updates around the team and the collaboratory and all of that good stuff. So if you want to, you are welcome to join us there. And that is where these questions are coming from. Also, I wanted to say for the collaboratory, we are still going forward with the collaboratory. So there are dropping classes where you can drop in and quote unquote microdose your inner voice, little doses of inner voicing with IVFT facilitators that are trained and ready to help you on a variety of different topics. Let me go in the app over to the calendar of events. So if you want, you can also see all the events coming up. So I'm just going to read through them really quickly just to give you a little bit of a heads up now that there's so much going on. It's so cool that we're bringing the inner voice to such an interactive level for you in a one-on-one session with an IVFT grad. If you wanted to do that, if you wanted to do these group classes, think of them like yoga class, but you're just doing inner voice work with people. So we have the blockbusting for artists. That is coming up. Then we have a drop-in session called Amplify Your Inner Voice. So if you're wanting to make it stronger, make it clearer, like have a, a stronger connection to it and be really clearly defined between what is that and what is your mind, that would be a great class for you. Susan's hosting that one. Then we have group beanbag release. So if you've heard me talk about emotional beanbags or what Eckhart calls the pain body, there is a group session learning how to release them and doing them in the session live with people that is happening with Lauren coming up. And then we have in shape moving your body in alignment with your inner voice. That was a popular class from last week as well. Some of these classes repeat over each week and some of them are monthly. So you'll just have to see another Amplify Your Inner Voice with Susan. Soul Food, which is a course taught by Hannah is coming back up. And then Love and Dating in the Inner Voice. And then actually we have after that a drop-in session, Inner Voice for Chronic Pain with Slade. So yeah, there are so many things coming up. So if any of that floats your boat, you can go over to jesslively.com slash collaboratory and then look at it there. Or it's like I mentioned in the events and calendar page in the app, which is to be honest, my favorite way to look at the events coming up is in the app on the calendar page. I just think it's the easiest way, but that calendar page, since it's in the app is something that is accessible through the app. We can't just like link. I wish we could just link that calendar page to our website, but because it requires the app to download, you have to have the app to see it. So anyways, we do still have another way of you seeing this kind of content. Also, just like I said, over at justlively.com slash collaboratory. Okay. So that's a little update on all of that stuff. IBFT is coming up in March. If you're curious about that, I know we get emails every week about that and people are still signing up. So if you're curious, you can go over to justlively.com slash IVFT. Very excited for the next round. I just love the kind of recent flow of courses that we're doing lately. So like the last round of IVFT I taught, and then there are certain people in IVFT that just catapult their consciousness starts like really going like fast and furious ahead. And so as they're going through that, then I started offering Cocoon as a group program. It's not really a class. It's just like 
watching and explaining and sharing as they're going through these end stages of consciousness shifting from being stuck in the perspective of the mind to becoming that awareness perspective. So as that unfolds, that's what I did for two and a half years of the recent part of my life. So it's been really a joy to be able to no holds bar, share everything that goes on in that crazy wild, turned upside down part of the journey for people that are feeling called to it after IVFT. You don't have to have taken IVFT to be in Cocoon, but most of the people have done IVFT before Cocoon. And some people will actually choose to do IVFT after they've taken Cocoon. We'll see. But anyways, I've kind of been flipping. So it was like IVFT, then Cocoon for four months. And now once Cocoon wraps up this time, I'll do IVFT again. And who knows, probably possibly another Cocoon after that. So we'll see how the flow goes. But Otherwise, that's like coming up in March and let's get into the questions because I am just excited. 36 juicy questions. Let's see what you guys asked. Okay. Linda said, yes, I'd like to know your surrender manifesting your dream body experiment that how it went a few years back by thinking and attracting your way through aesthetic goals. How did that fare? How did it work? And what has it taught you? Thank you, Linda, for putting it. How did it fare? Did it work? And what has it taught you? So interesting. So that was a few years ago. So many things that I approached in experimental phases in previous parts of consciousness journey that I've been on, I have evolved how I've approached that topic. So I might've started with one way, then changed and tried a different way, and then went to a different way, and then to a different way. There's always kind of a refinement, you could say, to the approach or to my perspective on a topic. So when it comes to the manifesting the dream body, you might not even know about that. So I'll give you guys kind of the summary of how the body and Jess Lively have operated together. So when I was younger, I had borderline eating disorders. I was underweight and then I was binge eating overweight. So I was like for half of nine years, I was like obsessive and restrictive. And then on the other half, I was binging and on the other end of the scale as well. And too much and too little were definitely nine years of my life and obsession throughout all of that, all the exercise that I used to do in those periods of time. And to be honest, even in high school were heavily focused around what the impact of that movement did to the body and how it made the body look. So there was a heavy, heavy, heavy sense of mind control and judgment and shooting on the body. So then it went into, I left that whole thing. I got into intuitive. I wouldn't, this is before intuitive eating was a thing that people talked about, but I found my intuition with eating naturally and just ate what my intuition wanted to eat until satisfied. And I let go of controlling the body and exercise and all of that stuff at the same time. I did still do some like weightlifting classes back in, this is like my mid twenties over 10 years ago. And I did still do some running and so forth. But then when I got into the Law of Attraction, Abraham, like 16, 17, and really when this stuff was like heavily in the shift. So then I was like, I want to surrender manifest. Yeah, I don't want to have to work out. Do I have to actually work out? One day I had a friend's personal trainer that she was doing a session with, and I was staying at her house in Ibiza. And so I did the session with her and the trainer, and he made a comment that one day he won't have a job anymore. And I said, what do you mean? And he goes, well, people will eventually realize that they can do this without exercising, that they'll just have naturally lean, healthy bodies without a personal trainer being a requirement for a naturally healthy, lean, vibrant body. And I was like, what do you mean? This is the perfect time for me to meet this person in my life and the journey. And he told me about the Master Key System, which is a book, great book. If you're into the power of the subconscious mind and what it can do, and you haven't tested the limits of the mind, and that feels super juicy and exciting for yourself, go for it. Master Key System's a great book. I believe it's a channel book from 20s, 30s, 40s, somewhere in that. I think he wrote that book. But anyways, it doesn't talk heavily about the body. So if you're like looking to get details on the body specifically, it's not there, but it just, just talks about the power of the mind, generally speaking to all things, including the body, but it's not a body book. That was what he was basing that statement on. So I remember calling him after I met him like a week later, I got his number from my friend and I was like, really Tom? Like you think I can just not work out and I'd be healthy. And he goes, well, do you want to be like, bigger? Do you want to change your body in any major way? Like, you know, if I wanted to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger as a female body, would I want to look like that? It's like, well, no, I don't want to like change the shape of my body in any way that would be 
outside of its own natural, lean, healthy sense of self. I think he thought that if I had wanted, let's say, killer biceps and like, you know, really wanted an aggressively like muscularized more than my body would naturally take on on its own, then he was thinking I might have to do some visualization exercises or actual exercise to get that type of shift in my body. So then he was like, no, I don't think you do. So what I focused on at that time in my journey was releasing all of the mental mass consciousness beliefs that would say in my mind that I should work out, especially in America, more prevalently than say places in Europe, I would say, this is generalizations, but I would say there's a generally like a way more focus on the body. And also I think the, the food systems that Americans have at their disposal easily versus Europeans, the food quality, there just seems to be at least my observation of my own body reacting, traveling for so many years as I have between North America and here is just so different in terms of my body's reactivity to food. And I think a lot of people sense that. So it is what it is, but I think it's not that easy in North America just from the food systems. And then also like depending on how much activity people are taking or not taking, like walking around in a city-like base, I think the city structure and movement that comes with just operating your body around a city versus more of a driving culture is also just a, a different thing for European cities and places than some places in America. Obviously, some in America are quite mobile friendly for, for people moving about a city like New York, etc. But all of this to say, did the releasing, so I remember I was heavily into theta healing at the time, did a lot of releasing of subconscious beliefs around food and the body and how my mind was conditioned to believe that it had to effort its body in order to be healthy. By that, I mean, at that time, I was had a lot of beliefs that I'd been probably picked up from like watching the Today Show as a child most of my years or that kind of stuff, like those news reporty type of things, like 20 minutes a day, three times a week, all that kind of stuff. That was what I was trying to deprogram. Yes, every inner voice will say, move your body when it feels good to move it and move it as it feels good to move it. But doing it from a structure, like a certain amount of minutes, a certain type of movement that your mind or someone else's mind has prescribed, that's very not in the flow of the now that your inner voice lives in. So I was unprogramming all of the stuff that my mind had, like I should work out five times a week and I should run this amount of distance and I should lift this amount of weight and all of these very blocky, choppy, mental, mental, mental stories. So deleted all of that. And then eventually I got to that dragony cocoon phase of the inner voice work where I was even out of frustration with using the mind as much as I was, because basically I shifted my effort of the physical realm and effort of quote unquote hard work and physical action in any area of life. You guys watch that shift from me from the muggling my way through life and doing it like the hard way and the hustle way of anything. I then shifted to the leverage of energy and alignment and emotion and action and Abraham and all that stuff. That worked a hundred percent better than the old way. So effort versus alignment Alignment beat it hands down, but what I still was doing to some degree at certain times was thinking about what the body should look like or what I wanted it to look like, and then trying to visualize that stuff. I wasn't taking action necessarily. Yes, I love walking, so that's something that I've done consistently throughout this whole thing because I enjoyed it for the joy of it, but I never wanted to move after that point for any other reason than for the joy of the activity in itself, not for an outcome of health, but for the joy of the walk. That was the shift towards movement in those ways, but other ways that would just be for the efforting of health no longer could motivate me. But then I hit this point where I was even sick of thinking about thoughts and energy and emotion and trying to ratchet up the emotion. And so then I went and I just let go of it all and just did it was super deep into like releasing hundreds of emotional beanbags. And in that period, I got really still and I probably did still move the body and go on walks, but I wasn't even visualizing the body. And actually it got to a point where it just became so much more lighter and easier, not even to get the mind to even think about the body, but just let go, let go, let go. Kind of like I did actually after the eating issues subsided, I just like would not let the mind have a concern or have a say in what the body 
was manipulated to be, look like, or have an opinion. So any emotion the mind might try to come up with, I just didn't give it any time of day. Like it just was not allowed to be in charge. Now I realize like the body wants to be in a state of balance. It wants to be in a state of harmony. It wants to be in its natural state of well-being. If your mind in action or in thought is not messing up the system, the system itself will with intuition leading you to move when it feels good to move in the ways the body naturally wants to move. When you eat what the body is naturally asking for, because you're intuitively connected to what your intuition is leading you to, there is a natural harmony that's found. That mind, whether it was efforting through marathon trainings or through efforting and actions on lots of excessive thoughts about training programs, or if it was thinking visually about what it ideally wanted to look like, any of that was just more in the way than helpful. So all of this to say, I went for years and years without any traditional quote unquote exercise, just lots of walks and whatever felt good at the time. And then recently, as of last year in Sydney, I remember meeting this friend and she told me about her obsession with reformer Pilates and how much she loved it and how easy it was and how much fun it was. And for some reason, that just kind of got me interested. There's some incredible reformer Pilates classes in Sydney. It's like the Mecca that I have found in the world for reformer Pilates. Like there's just so many amazing places to go for that. And I just truly found an incredible experience. And so I really had fun doing it. It was a joy because I had never made those movements before. The reformer bed is so different from anything. All of my sports and all of my training that I had done as a younger athlete in high school and college and all of the after time when I was controlling it from all these efforting like marathon training and stuff, I'd never done any of the movements that reformer Pilates did. So it was just kind of thankfully a way of moving the body that was novel and new and had no associations in my mind to anything where my mind used to previously effort and strive for. So it's such a wonderful mini strengthening, stretching, flexibility. It's kind of like all the things that I really love. And I actually have found a reformer Pilates private lessons with a physio. And it has been, again, a really great joy. So that's, I don't know, a very, very long answer. Okay. Let me keep going. All right. House rule says, if one is New to your work, where would you begin to learn more about your tools, ideas, and concepts? Okay, so I would say, depending on where the person is in their journey, you could direct them to a part of my journey, which is so cool, actually, because you kind of see the progression of my awareness evolving through so many different phases. But depending on what phase the person is in when they're finding my work, I would direct them to different parts. So if someone is into manifesting, they're into getting out of the hustle grind mentality, that physical action world association, and they want to get into the energy and they're kind of like new into the manifesting stuff, I would send them to episode 214 of The Lively Show, which is the quick start guide, that quantum some living quick start guide. That is such a nice like little summary starting spot for people that are into that kind of stuff and they want to learn it more. And also like flow with intention is available as a recording. All the classes that I used to teach on for all those years around manifesting and flow with intention are available for someone that's in that phase now because they're in that phase now. And the great thing is that content's still available in the now for the people that are now in that phase. If they're into the subconscious and they're into the mind, then I would say C-School would be a class that they probably would really enjoy. Actually, I think there's a course bundle that's Flow, C-School, and Magic Not Manual. That's a cool combination course. It's a bundle. You can go to JessLively.com and look in the classes section. You can get the recordings for all of those courses and then pick and choose whichever flavor floats your boat. That C-School focus would be more of the subconscious and what is the brain states and all of that kind of stuff. And then magic, not manual would have like the focus on the emotional beanbag releasing and the mind resistance, because once you get into the manifesting stuff and you get familiar with it and you're using it as your stepping stone outside of the physical activity modality to the energy alignment modality, you notice how much the mind creates resistance and how, when you're getting used, you're like, wow, well, this is useful. And sometimes it works, but if my mind is really 
stuck on a certain subject, there often is a lot of resistance that comes up and that kind of becomes a drain, the resistance that you start noticing. So that's when magic, not manual or the inner voicing becomes the interesting next evolution. So then if someone's interested in inner voice work, I would say that the YouTube channel would be a great place to see some people doing inner voicing if they haven't ever seen it done before, because I had all those guests on the show. So you could see that happening. There are also episodes upon episodes, probably in the 300 episode mark, roughly, I'm just guessing here of where that would begin. There'd be a lot of inner voice 101 sessions that I had aired. And now what's interesting is there was a big shift for those that are new to the work between the inner voice sessions that I aired on the show and then the two hour inner voice sessions where I started a later evolving and keeping people in their inner voice, living as their inner voice for two solid hours. That's what IVFT now teaches facilitators how to do for clients themselves. So never got really aired. Those are sessions, I think like Clotilde's episode with the bud That was a great episode. I believe that was a full two-hour inner voice session that got aired on the show. And then also now, if they just want to learn about inner voice, like I said, watching the YouTube channel would be interesting. Um, Listening to some episodes that have to do with the inner voice here on the show would be interesting. And then also doing some drop-in classes in the collaboratory would be where I'd send people because you can do a one drop-in class for 22 bucks, or if you want to do three classes, you can get three for 55, which drops the price down. So you could get a little class pack, do some classes, work with some facilitators. You could do an inner voice session with a facilitator if you wanted to do a one-on-one session. Like there's so many great tools we have now to help you guys get into this so much quicker and faster with the help of so many people around the world. Also, there are so many facilitators in so many different languages now. So if you have a certain language you'd prefer to do your session in, check on the find a facilitator page on justlively.com. There is a chance that there is someone in the language possibly that you speak that might be able to help you do your session in your native tongue. So that would be where I would say for inner voice. And then of course, if you're New to me, I wouldn't probably say, go to IVFT. I'd wait. I would get started with all these other things that I mentioned. And then if their inner voice is leading them to do inner voice facilitator training, they could do that as they've gotten more familiar with the work. But that's where I'd say to begin. Okay. Now we have Rona who loves the Q&A episodes. She asked, I would like to know how to decide on a subject to study in university. I keep searching the best paying degrees. How do I find what I'd be interested in without thinking about the money? I still want the money though. (laughs) This is so cute. Okay. So yes, the equivalent of this degree thing she's thinking is like, okay, what workout should I do to get this specific body type? So it's like your mind is like picking a body type, the specific degree in lifestyle, right? And then it's like, well, what exercise will give me that? But it, you're not taking into account the joy of whether that activity will be fun to do or not. Like that is what the mind is right now skipping over. Not will I enjoy the process. And I would pull an Abraham quote that has truly like sunk into my cells. This is it. If the path to where you're going is not fun, neither will the destination be fun. So if the journey to what you're doing, if the means is not enjoyable, neither will the end. This is a very classic mind way of approaching things, but I love you're asking the question because the minute you're questioning the way your mind's approaching it, you have a choice because either you get the money, but it doesn't matter because you're so miserable or you don't even get the money and you're still miserable. It's kind of a lose either way because by the time you actually get the money, you only get the money to realize, oh my gosh, whatever it took to get to the money in that way and fashion was not worth the money. There are so many people that have recognized that like dead end pathness to success in that sense where they're unhappy with all this stuff. It does not mean that having these external factors will actually provide an internal sense of well-being. Obviously, you have to have a certain level of stability, but then after that, it's not the the external factors that provide that internal well-being. So with your situation, your mind, it's thinking about manifesting to whatever it wants, which is obviously much larger in scale, most likely, because it's also looking from a place that probably it has a lot of scale. So with all of this, I drop it all. I would drop it all. I know that you're going to just trust that you're going to study something. (laughs) Trust that you're going to study something. You will study. If you're going to college, you will study something. But I would just right now stop looking 
for what to study and just live in the unknown for a while. Give yourself a few weeks. Like give yourself the unknown. Give yourself the blessed gift of the unknown. Just see what happens in the next few weeks. Just see what sparks your interest in the next few weeks. What in your daily life as you wake up feels like something you want to do? And then what is the next thing you feel like doing? And the next thing, and just break it down to one day, one day at a time, and just do what feels like interesting to that day and keep going. You will not have to try to find this thing. Something will come to you if you stop running, looking around for it. Anyways, all I could say is I never made the decisions for the money, but as I kept adapting and evolving through my intuition to each stage of the journey, money flowed as needed and it works. It will work. So I wouldn't even make the money the reason. I'd find what feels interesting for yourself to do and continue on. And of course, go to your inner voice like for actual next steps for you. And then it'll come in some surprising way because it's supposed to be a gift for you. Your life is supposed to be more of like an Easter egg hunt than anything else, but you're not hunting. You're just like walking around and then you just find these little Easter eggs. You're not even like, you're like, I wasn't even looking, but there it is. I just found this thing and it just showed up for me one day. Like there's so many gifts that are coming towards you if you can just stay open and gently aware and then receive them when they come and keep following the ones as long as they feel good and let go when they start to feel bad and then find the next things that feel good and step away when they start to feel bad. It really, really is that it is a hell of a journey when your mind is trying to learn how to do it though. So I have a lot of compassion if it doesn't seem super easy yet, but you have nothing to lose other than your own unhappiness in the process. So I would say go for it because the only thing you could lose is limitation and stories of limitation that lock you into perceptions and make you think you should do something you don't enjoy. Okay, Maddie Robbins asks, what are your thoughts on the three aspects of yourself, the observer, the mind, and the inner voice? How are they all part of you and yet not you? Thank you. Very cool question. Okay, so the thoughts on the three aspects. The observer would be pure consciousness. It is experiencing life through your body right now. But the mind is so different to that observer, pure consciousness in you that it thinks it has a concept of what that is, but the mind is not that part. So it's like parts of your body, right? So you could say one part's your head, one part's your arm, and one part's your leg. Well, you could say the observer is the leg, and the arm is the mind, and the inner voice is the head. Like, they're all three aspects of the body of consciousness that you are, but they're three separate elements of the single body. Does that make sense? So there's one body with a head, arms, and legs, but each of those function differently in the thing that you are. So you're the body, the whole thing, the body has one thing, but it has elements and facets that are distinct unto themselves. Have you guys ever had a persimmon? I started having persimmons for the first time here in Portugal. I told my friend in America about it yesterday and I was trying to describe what a persimmon is like to an American who's never had one. And I said, it's like an orange tomato. So if you see it at the grocery store, you could see it like that, but there's nothing about it that's obviously like a tomato. So inside, I was like, it's like a pear texture and a peach and an apple all in one, but it doesn't taste like a pear or a peach or an apple. But I was trying to give her these explanations to kind of help her have an idea of what a persimmon is like. That's what anyone talking just using words and concepts to share with you, especially around spirituality or non-physicality, that is what is happening. Someone is trying to explain what a persimmon is like on a podcast. That's what they're doing. There is that a persimmon? No. Did she actually know what a persimmon tasted like? No. It was not the experience of a persimmon, but she heard about the experience of a persimmon. So anytime spiritual teachers we're trying to describe this stuff. We're just telling the mind what it's like, but it is very different than the actual experience of the thing. So you will have these experiences naturally over time as you continue. But for now, it's so fun for the mind to learn and to practice because it's available. And of course, the mind is always wanting to expand and grow because your consciousness that you are, that observer part's always expanding its awareness of experience. And that's happening through this body right now and the mind, especially. So anyways, 
the observer pure consciousness element of you, that is what's operating this body and keeping it alive. That's what always exists, never dies. The mind would be the conglomeration of experiences and conditioning and thought patterns that are the personality, the persona of this life or other lives you may have had. So that's the element. And that operates very much within the bodies, the physical bodies that that mind element has had over many lifetimes. And then there's the inner voice. The inner voice is the wisdom that lives in the now. So the inner voice is almost as though it lives in a different dimension than the mind. The mind's living in the time dimension, the three-dimensional reality, but the inner voice is living in the now. So the now is not bound by time because now is all there ever is. The mind does not live in the now. The mind lives in the ticking time, clocky, past, future-y perception that it has. So the inner voice can answer you wisely on telling you and advise you on so many things because it's living in the now, but it doesn't worry about what's going to happen in March, but it could tell you about a relationship and tell you, you can have a knowing whether you hear an inner voice saying, not this one person, or it can tell you before your mind has any reason to believe like why I have so many examples of my own life where the inner voice will tell me something's not going to work out or not to do it. And my mind won't know the reasons why yet, but it'll end up proving to be true because the inner voice is living in the now. But at the same time, if you ask the inner voice, how am I going to make money next month? It will not care. It will just tell you that it's going to be there because that's the operating of this reality is that when it's needed, it will be there. So there's this lack of worry about the details, yet at the same time, it can be quite accurate about what's needed in this now moment to tell you and how to guide you into the next now moment. So the inner voice is this really beautiful tool in the body of consciousness that you are that the mind can use and has access to if it wants to, and if it chooses to listen and ask to guide the character through this reality. You know, like bouncers or security guards that have those little bugs in their ear and they can talk to the powers that be that's like your inner voice. It's like there to guide the human in effective ways, loving in effective ways. Do this. Don't do that. Step forward this way. Trust, relax, just go do something calm right now. Go to sleep, dance, eat bread. Like it'll just tell you what to do, but it's doing it on a now to now basis. But the mind always, you know, wants to future trip and wants to get really detailed plans, but that's not the modus operandi of an inner voice. So yeah, that's a very summary version of that question. Now we have Mosquitits who says, uh, I'm a fan of your Q&A episodes. I'd like to know if after all the inward work you've done over the years, do you still find your mind visiting old patterns from time to time? And if so, how have the ways you approach it change? Yes, I currently still have the mind patterns running. They're so much easier to deal with. There was a shift of perception that occurred this summer that (laughs) the mind was very excited for that shift of perception to occur. And ever since then, the mind still is operating in this reality. I can hear the mind have its thoughts and its patterns and stuff. But the thing about anything that the mind will cook up for itself to think about, worry about, or whatever now is void at the moment that I go back to that experience in the sense of like, I know that it's not real. So before I had that experience, my mind perceived its character and its thought patterns as real and important. And they are real and important to this reality. They are valid to this three-dimensional reality. But now I see this three-dimensional reality so completely qualitatively different than I previously did. So now this reality, it is true for the reality that it is, but I do not sense it as dire as I once did because the mind is trapped into that. It's like a dream. It doesn't know that it's a dream, but now the mind knows as well is aware, not because of a concept that someone told me, but because of my own experiential realization that it is a dream. So it's like, okay, well, the mind has worked up in the dream, but it knows it's a dream. Like a dream is real, but when you wake up, does the dream feel as dire as it once did when you were in the dream? No, that's that shift that I have about this reality now. So that pattern of the mind, if it shows up, can be seen. It can, you know, make its little song and dance that it wants to. But 
there is not the attachment to holding on to that perception anymore because it's just a waste of time for my mind. You can honor the dream for what it is without taking it overly seriously. And that is a huge gift that I now have. That shift to that perspective was so profound and deep because that then makes the mind, it puts it in its proper perspective. When it doesn't have that other perspective as a direct experience yet, the mind is really in fear and it's really worried. And it's really lacking interest and it's severely doubtful. And in a way, it's like, well, of course it would be because it hasn't had any other experience to prove otherwise that it is aware of. You've obviously had other experiences to prove otherwise to this reality, but you're not aware of them in the mind. So the mind has, it's like, well, prove it to me. Like I'm open to this. Show me, show me if that's true. And eventually you are shown the other elements of the body, of the consciousness that you are, become apparent. They become self-realized in themselves. They know what they are. That element of that self knows. So the observer basically saw itself as the observer in this body this summer. And that was incredible because now like that is so much more fundamental and powerful than the mind's previous like throne. It was trying to do all of the things and was thinking that it was responsible for all of the things. And now it knows it's not. And that putting in the proper perspective and and place within the body of consciousness is such an amazing and soothing gift, even to the mind, because it knows it's not real. Where before, it didn't know that. So that's a shift that has happened to answer that question. New question, Sanja. Yay, I'm so excited for this episode. My question, lately, I feel like I want to have it all figured out. Where we're going to live, when we're going to have children, and how many. I just try to flow and listen to my inner voice, but my ego seems to talk over it all the time, and it stresses me out. Do you have any advice? Oh, yeah. So your mind wants to eat every Easter egg at one time. Actually, I did this in Magic Not Manual, Sanja. I'm going to tell you about what I did at Magic Not Manual in Pittsburgh, two years ago now. It was so fun. So basically what you're saying, remember how I mentioned the Easter egg hunt the other moment ago? I said, this is like an Easter egg hunt. It was around Easter time, actually. So I got all these Easter eggs and I put candy in them, just like a classic childhood Easter egg hunt. And I let everybody know in the group, I think there was like 30 or 40 people. I said, okay, who would like all of their Easter eggs right now? And then who wants to go on the hunt? So I think about like six or seven people raised their hands and they got all the eggs. We handed them all their eggs and everybody else that wanted to do the Easter egg hunt did the Easter egg hunt for like 20 minutes or something like that. So this is what your mind is doing. Your mind is saying, I want, and it's raising its hand. If I ask Sonja's mind, do you want all of your eggs right now? Or do you want to go look for them? Now, what was interesting is like I said, six or seven people totally raised their hand saying, I can just sit here. It's fine. I don't need to do an Easter egg hunt. Just like your mind's probably like, yep, just tell me, just give me all the information. I want it right now. I want to know. So then those people got their eggs and they got them handed to them. And then everybody else went and hunted. They had to sit there because they made their choice. So they just had to watch everybody else looking for the eggs. And everybody else was bumping into each other. They're making new friends. They're having fun. The music's playing. It was so funny and amazing because it was such an example of the mind. Like when the mind is knowing the two choices, it projects into the future hunt. And it's like, I've done this before. But when it actually watched, when those people, they got their eggs and they couldn't move. And then they watched everybody else living out life in time and space and looking through time and space for eggs. They saw how fun it actually was to live in the unknown because the people that went to look for the eggs didn't know how many eggs they were going to get. They didn't know where they'd find them. They didn't know what would happen next. They were living in the unknown and the joyfulness of the unknown. So the only thing that your mind and the people that had raised their hands to get the eggs up front said, I will not feel any joy living in the unknown. That's why you want them all up front. But when you actually watch the egg hunt in that example, it was fascinating because the people that then had eradicated the unknown were watching everybody have so much fun in the unknown. Now, that is how this reality is, truly is. But the difference is people are stressed instead of joyful in the unknown. That is the only thing. And the only reason they're stressed in the unknown is because the mind has got the priority, the number one way they're feeling this reality is through their mind. 
So they're unhappy in the unknown, but their consciousness, the observer element and the inner voice element is joyful in the unknown. The consciousness bothered to come into this reality in the first place for the experiences that it would have, but it didn't have an agenda. The pure consciousness doesn't even have any thoughts or opinions. It's just experiencing things and it's not judging them as good or bad. It just is, it's existing. But the human mind is the part that has resistance to the unknown. So you've got beanbags, most likely emotional beanbags that are afraid of the unknown and certain aspects of your life and other aspects it's probably quite trusting and fine about. So the areas that your life functions very smoothly, you probably have very few old emotions that are in that aspect of your life. So you're just trusting and knowing it'll be fine. But the areas where the mind has had emotions in the past that are still there in your system, they're still operating in fear because your mind doesn't want those old emotions to be touched and triggered by new experiences. So it's stopping that natural, joyful searching and unfolding. When you're asking about where we're going to live and how many children we're going to have, it's so interesting because I used to be like that. I got married on a timeline in American conditioning. Like I thought I mentally wanted to be married by 28, have kids by 30. I'm 36 and I'm no longer married and I have zero kids. So obviously I've let go of that timeline kind of thing. But now I'm at a place where I'm like, well, if I meant to have a partner, they'll show up. It'll be an Easter egg hunt, egg that I won't even be seeking or looking for specifically, but it'd have to come up. And then if I was supposed to have kids, they'd have to come through me. Like, I don't have to make that happen. It's so different how I feel now than how I used to. And you guys have heard me on the show very openly and honestly share all the other times when that was not the case, but what was making the mind of the character of Jess not comfortable and not peaceful and not okay was all of those emotional beanbags. So now that those are cleared out, and like I said, I had hundreds to let go of, now I have that peace and clarity. I'm happy in the now that I'm in. I love time with myself so much that that Easter egg, if that's a partner, they have to be pretty awesome because I love myself. And I love my time with myself. I've traveled the world with myself. It's amazing. Like someone actually very sweetly asked to do like a soulmate activation for me on a platform recently. And I was just like, I didn't want to be rude, but I was like thinking I would not need that at all. Like if that's what it took for me to meet a partner, I don't want it. Like I'd rather not have a partner than think that my mind would need to go do something to make it happen. Like No, I don't think that that's required at all. The mind always has the inner voice. The mind always has the pure awareness. So I'm never actually, as the mind, the mind used to think it was alone because it wasn't aware of the perception of pure awareness and it wasn't aware of the inner voice. So it always felt like it was alone. But now it's not alone. It's got its buddies, basically, that is itself but it's satisfied within that ecosystem. It's amazing. And yes, I enjoy other people. I still, the mind has still got extroverted tendencies. So I still like seeing people sometimes, but oh, I'm just so satisfied. And if I would have kids, like I see kids also personally now as like a very interesting thing because those are soul beings. So children are soul beings. They're sovereign beings coming through this reality. So I look at that as like, well, if a sovereign being, soul being wants to come and be a part of my life, then that will happen. If that's meant to happen, if like my alignment of my like self beyond the mind, I would say the higher self, but it's not like, you know, the mind would be in alignment to that, but it's not the mind's decision to control that. If a sovereign being wanted to be my child, there could also be a parent that I could meet a widower, or I could meet someone that has a divorce and they're just like that child, that soul being wants to be a part of my life in their life. And so they might come through as a kid of someone that would have a kid, or I could adopt, or there's so many ways that a sovereign being, a child that is actually also God as well, coming through, and God by that, I mean like all that is, like everybody is all that is. Like if that total powerful creator, like every entity is, wants to come into my life, there are so many avenues for them to come in my life. They do not have to come through my birth canal alone. And this is like blasphemy to the character of Jess. 
a few years ago. It's amazing the shift, but it's because there's no beanbags there saying out of fear, it has to look a certain way. I now am open to all potentials and possibilities, and I'm not resistant to any potentials and possibilities. And I'm not saying that people wouldn't find the deep gifts that come through the growth from having experiences that are hard and long fought and everything. That's also worthy. But the stress that comes with those long things, that's the mind laying its perceptions of control on top of the situations. So it's natural and normal in our current state of reality because so many people have beanbags and so many people have emotions that are stuck and are being re-triggered over and over again by new situations. You'll be in good company to be in a stressful way of being, but it's not the only way of being, I guess I could say. What is so neat is whatever you're thinking right now, however you're living right now, does not have to stay the same. It can change. Just be like willing to see what happens. And I know a lot of people in Cocoon recently have been talking about trust, that their mind is not trusting yet. And so for that, I would say, how do you get trust? By practicing it. Now, how do you practice it? By doing it in the big and the little things over and over again. So pick whatever thing your mind will allow yourself to test and try this example of trusting. Just if it's what to eat today or if it's what to wear today, if it's as little as that, try it and see what happens. That will help to build trust. Or if it's, maybe that's not even easy to do, but for some reason, you just randomly can decide to trust about a job opportunity to pass on or to take, do it on the big thing. If it's the big thing, that's easy, whatever it is. But the more times you can have your mind, because the mind's so relative and historical. So the more you can give it a, a litany of history that shows that this is a thing you can trust, that is going to help the mind trust even more. It will build the momentum in that direction. And then practicing the inner voice in the first place so that you can hear it and have options with the things to even try, large and small. And especially the ones that your mind doesn't have fear around will be easier to hear through because if the mind is in fear about some topic, it may not be relaxed and open enough to hear the answer. It would actually be blocking. It's like, I'll answer, I'll ask, but I'm too afraid to hear. So I'll block it. And it's so cute and wonderful when it does, because the mind is loving you so much. It's annoying because you want to hear, but at the same time, how lovely that the mind loves you so much that it would block because it's afraid to hurt your feelings or it's afraid to hurt you which is well-intended. It's not like the mind is trying to torture you. That's not why it's blocking. It's blocking out of protection. It's afraid the character like cannot hold the potential that it could be something that it wouldn't want to receive. I know someone in Cocoon that lost um, her job, her partner, her house, everything in one week. And it was all the things that her mind would not have wanted to lose. And she lost them all at the same time. A few weeks later, she had a huge shift in consciousness that completely liberated her from all of the angst that she was fearing. But in that process, if her mind had been asking, as it might've been very likely about the inner voice, like what should I do about all of those topics? She may not have heard too much leading up to all of those things falling away because the mind might've been trying to protect her out of the fear of hearing the answer that they were all gonna go. So it's okay. And it worked out beautifully either way. So anyways, oh, I'm just so excited for you guys. To be honest, it is so refreshing to know that wherever you are, you are not stuck. There was a few years ago when I was in the C-School brain state studying phase where I remember Joe Dispenza saying that a lot of people by the age of 35, their neural nets are pretty wired. They don't really change very much. And there's also like years before that where I remember thinking, yeah, people don't really change. And that was a, a mental mass consciousness belief. And it still could be true to certain humans that are still kind of living the same patterns in their thoughts over and over again. But the great thing is if you're listening to the show, like you are very unlikely to be in that category and lump of people still. Like there's enough of a divergence from mass consciousness and the way that most people live to be interested in listening to this material, that the odds are extremely good if you haven't already been shedding things like crazy that you're going to, and that it's possible and that you will, and that you shall, and that you're not going to be stuck. Like whatever life looks like now, you can just be thankful in an interested way of like, well, I wonder what three years is like singularity. Who knows what you're going to be like in three years? 
what a gift. Even the whole planet, I feel like with 2020 having just happened, has showed that the whole planet's on the move right now. We don't know exactly where it's headed, but we it's going somewhere. It is moving in the sense that things systemically are shifting far more than anyone would have imagined could be done, and especially as quickly as things are having to adapt to our current situations. So things are happening even on the greater scale, but also inside of ourselves. And the greater scale shifting and moving and everybody having to live in the flow of the unknown because of the way that the world has operated for the last year. Oh, what a great time. And all the slowness and all these lockdowns that have happened are like little mini ashram moments for everybody to go within. So it's so neat because now you can like, you don't even have to go to Vipassana ashram. You could just stay at your house and just like be in the next tier lockdown. And you're like, well, I'm going deeper. Meditation retreat upon retreat at this point, if that's what feels juicy for you, or maybe your life is flowing in a different direction right now and you're busier than ever. And that if you're in alignment to your inner voice guiding you, it will flow you through this time or any time so beautifully. So, okay, I'm rambling, but let's move on. Abigail Glazer said, Jess, I'm about to start a podcast. You have any tips for a beginner? Thank you. Do the best you can. And, and I would say that for me, I have enjoyed listening to myself. <laughs> so I like listening to the show. So I do listen to the show. And I think that as I listen to the show after it's aired, especially in the beginning, help me know how to make a better show. So you kind of flip into the role of listener, and then you can think of ways that you could improve the show as you go. But that I think would be being a listener of your own show would be the tip I'd have, because that I think is going to give you the direction of what's enjoyable. What do you like? What do you want more of? That kind of thing. All right. Maya Rain said, any updates on your eyesight after trying to correct it with no glasses? Are you still thinking your way through the exercise instead of doing it physically. This is kind of like the physical body question that we started with. Did a few years of curiosity around, could I see or have naturally good eyesight without doing any eye exercises and just taking off my glasses? So I, you guys probably heard me talk about that. I now wear glasses and contacts again. I used to be a negative four prescription in my eyes when I, before I even had the idea to do this, I then went totally glasses and contacts free. I had a pair of negative one glasses that I would wear at airports because the airports were actually the functional place for those two years when I didn't wear anything that was like really difficult because it was like, well, I couldn't read the signs or the um, overhead boards to know like what flights, what terminals and that kind of stuff. So I did have a lighter prescription that I would use in glasses in that unnatural lighting for things far away. And it was an amazing experience. I got to know Jacob Lieberman, who wrote the book, Take Off Your Glasses and See. He's an example of someone that did have his eyesight change. It was amazing because his eyes didn't change, but he sees clearly, <sighs> which means he's not seeing with his eyeballs exclusively, which is just amazing. And that's the kind of shift, to be honest, that I would love to have. That is really what I'd like. But after the two years, I just got interested in seeing in detail again. I did have an eye test with Jacob. We did it at his house in Maui. And with certain light, like natural light in a calm environment and giving a little bit of time, I could see up to 30-20, not 20-20, but 30-20, which was very close, but it was not consistent. So what I learned over those two years is that eyesight is not static. It's not like you only always see the same amount. You can take a deep breath, slow down, look and see more clearly or more fuzzy. It goes in and out. I would say that's the way I'd say sight is in and out. When you have impaired vision, then it's like always like a bubble and you can't see out of it. But when I was younger, I would have said that's wrong, but it's only because I was never living for so long without wearing glasses at all to know that it does go in and out if you stop wearing the glasses. If you only go without glasses when you take them on and off your nose before and after bed, then you're really not going to notice. But if you live in daylight and you wear the glasses and take them off or just stop wearing them for a really long period of time, you'll see that it's so much more fluctuating than you would have ever imagined. But at the same time, it was never consistent. And so eventually I wanted the shift 
to seeing consistently all the detail of life. And at that point, it was the right time for me to do it. I'm still obviously open to seeing clearly. I definitely have thought like I could get the eye laser surgery, not against it, but at the same time, I kind of love the idea of not getting it just in case, keeping that open door for the site to actually come through without needing to have a surgery to do so. So yeah, for now, I just don't have a story that says it was bad. It was actually a huge success in the sense that I really tried it. I had no fear and I got to try it. I think it was a huge success also because it became a way for me to really detach from the mind's perception of the realness of this reality. That became very easy to loosen up when everything was fuzzy. When everything looks fuzzy, you can't take the physical reality so seriously, so literally anymore. And that was at that time in my journey, a perfect unfolding because I was trying to break down all of these thought patterns that I had been given about this reality and how this reality was and wasn't and the non-physical realities and learning to sense into energy. That actually also was interesting. It's not that my five senses became more heightened. Like I didn't get better sense of smell or taste or hearing because I wasn't seeing as clearly like someone that maybe they say like blind people can be more attuned to their other senses because they have their focus going into those more. I actually feel like I was going more into the sixth sense, in the sense that I was sensing into the energy of situations and people and places to guide me to go forward or not, because I couldn't see the detail of situations, people and places. So I had to feel into things in a natural like energy kind of way. And that was a huge gift too, because that ability to feel into how does someone feel right now? Because I couldn't see their micro expressions on their faces. So I'd have to feel into how does this person feel to me right now. It's not like I couldn't see them if they were close by to me, but let's say someone's on the street walking by me. I could not tell what they were thinking if they were even looking at me, but I could feel into the feeling that I would have from their energy. And so that was a huge gift that I really cherish about that time because it became very clear that I could do so. So yeah, that is my answer to that. I now wear, like I said, contacts and glasses, but I wear a negative three. So not the negative four that I once did. So there's still a bit of great room. I see very functionally. I can see clear enough to drive and like pass a driver's uh, sight test, but I'm not seeing through the contacts 2020 because I still do want to have that space for the eyes to still get their own ability to strengthen if they choose to or not. But yeah, there's just basically no resistance. Like if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I gave it a few years. I could obviously continue to do that in the future if I want to as well. But right now I just have no resistance to wearing them. So that's the best. I think having the joy of being and doing exactly what you're wanting to in the moment, whether you're wearing the glasses and that's the joy or whether you're not and that's the joy, that's the joy is the fact that you're just in alignment to whatever modality or way of seeing that you're doing right now. So yeah, feel into what might be possible for you. And I would just say, if anything, yeah, have the courage to play with things and see what happens. Like it's so fun. And even if the thing that your mind had the idea for, like, I will see like 2020, if that doesn't happen, you could still like become better at understanding and feeling into energy, or there's a million other things that could happen. I made it a great new friend and mentor through Jacob Lieberman because of that process. There was like an amazing relaxation around things that really don't matter because I couldn't see them. And I really realized in a clear way, like what really matters and what doesn't matter when things are not in sharp focus. It was so nice because like a lot of things that people worry about could not matter to me because I could not see them. And that was such a relaxing state of being. And to know that and still maintain that awareness while seeing in sight, I now have that where I didn't have that before. So there you guys go. Thank you guys so much for listening. I know I didn't only touch the surface of those questions. So maybe we'll dig back into them another time. But yeah, thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.